0: have something to read before I can induce myself. Um, I want to welcome, can you hear me? Good. Yeah. Well, it's not. How about? It droops. Okay. Um, welcome to the 2011 Read to Do Convention. My name is Carmen. I am a compulsive overeater and the moderator for this session. Hi. Um, are you having a good time here today? Yes. Terrific. We'd like you to take advantage of all other, of other the other things this convention has to offer to help Region 2 carry the message. If you like what you heard and want to take it with you so you have it all year round, please stop by the Recording Center tables outside the Houston Room. They have CDs and MP3 downloads from all the sessions. If you saw Maria's stylish outfits during the play last night, they were all from the Rags to Riches boutique. Stop by and see what gems you can find. Next door to the boutique is our silent auction. Bid on Dodger tickets, a computer, printer, airline tickets, and other wonderful prizes. Also, we have magnets and pins with every program prize. Oh, with every program saying known. Here, let me try that again. Also, we have magnets and pins with every program saying known to man. Don't miss it. Visit our hospitality suite to have a quiet place to talk, find out about local places to visit, and look at some wear from other intergroups. And finally, we have T-shirts for sale across in the registration desk. Right. Please help us preserve our cherished tradition of anonymity by refraining from taking pictures in this or any other meeting today. Will everyone who cares to please join me in the serenity prayer? god grant me the serenity to accept the things i cannot change courage to change the things i can and wisdom to know the difference the title of this panel is our primary purpose tradition 5 and 12. the format for this session is a reading from our literature, three speakers and questions from the Ask It basket. As the speakers are sharing, we will pass around a basket with paper and pencils for you to write any questions you may have. Please specify if you are, please specify if you are directing your question to a specific speaker. Please be sure to keep the basket moving even if you've already passed it. As speakers continue to share, members may think of questions that they did not have when the basket first passed by. Um, I'd like to read from pages 146 to 147 of the 12 Steps and 12 Traditions of Overeaters Anonymous and page 319 from um, Voices of Recovery. Our recovery doesn't come from simply discussing our problems with each other. It is in the OA message and our Steps and Traditions that we find solutions to our problems. Living by these principles has saved our lives. Honesty, hope, faith, courage, integrity willingness, humility, responsibility, acceptance, equality, and more. These 12 steps and 12 tradition principles, rather than our problems, should be the focus of every OA meeting. When applied, these principles can help us fulfill our legacy and ensure that OA will be here for the next newcomer who stumbles through the door. Now I'd like to introduce our first speaker, and that will be Teresa from... Whoops, no, that will be... So I'm going to say Carl from
1: <laughs> West, Hollywood. West Hollywood,
0: and I'm surprising
2: Carl here. Life's a surprise. Yes. It's also a cabaret, but we won't go there. Hello, so, good afternoon. My name is Carl, and I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi. And um, I'm grateful to have the opportunity to share. And since I didn't, the reason I kept running in and out is because I didn't know I was sharing until five minutes ago, and I want to see what I'm talking about. So I want want to address the topic. I've been asked to speak on Tradition 5 and Tradition 12. Tradition 5 says each group has the one primary purpose, to carry its message to to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. And Tradition 12 says anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. So... That in mind, and the reason I did that is because these are reading glasses and I want to be able to see you guys. (laughs) Look at you and I want to be able to take them off. It's it's nice to know that when I go to an O.A. meeting, all I'm going to hear is O.A. Uh, No matter where I am, I've gone to meetings all across this wonderful country of ours. And when I go to an O.A. meeting, I don't hear about local politics. And I don't hear about anything other than program. And that's what I like, because that's the reason I went. If I want to hear about local politics, i watch the local TV station. If I want to hear about local problems, i call the Chamber of Commerce. When I'm traveling and when I need to talk about my compulsive overeating, which I always talk about, I need to be in an OA meeting where I know the focus is going to be OA. And I'm grateful for that because at least it's a known entity. I know what I'm going to be getting into. And my food issues come up at any given moment. I know that they're always there. I know that they're just waiting for me and I have to remember that I am only one bite, one thought, one slip away from eating again. I've been in program for 22 years and I'm abstaining for 19 and a half of those. And I'm grateful for that. And what I what my main focus is, though, that I'm abstaining today. To me, it's one day at a time. I don't have, you know, 19 years. Usually friends of mine will say, are you taking a candle next week? I go, huh? They go, it's your OA birthday. I go, oh, okay. To me, it's one day at a time. To me, it's one meeting at a time. To me, no matter what. I'm supposed to moderate? No, you're speaking? Okay, fine. How can, how can I be of service? How can I be of service to the fellowship? Because in being service to the fellowship, I'm being of service to myself. I firmly believe that when I speak, when I lead, when I talk to someone, I, it's what I need to hear. It's what I need to do. Uh, that's why I deal with sponsees. That's why I make outreach calls. That's why I speak to my sponsor. I was just on vacation. And you know what? I took vacation from everything except program. Told my sponsees, you call. But you're on vacation. I go, yeah, I am. My disease is not. And especially I was in Las Vegas. Hello. Food galore. Buffets and people that like to go to buffets. And, you know, I'm, I'm there visiting friends and they said, oh, this place has a great buffet. And that place is OK. And I've learned how to go to buffets. I couldn't. When I first came into the program, first 10 years, I didn't go anywhere near a buffet. Why? Because you guys told me it's not a good place to be. And I saw the way I behave. And it's, it's just not worth it for me. And that's the reason I make outreach calls. Because my primary purpose is to abstain and to reach the other compulsive overeater. And so when I see new people come to a meeting, I go, I try my best to go over and say hello to newcomers. And I don't try to sell them the program. I just say, this is me. I've been around. This is what I've gone through. I eat. This is how I eat. This is how I behave. This is what I do. This is how I live my life. And that's it. I don't say, do you want to do it? Do you think you can do it? I'm not into hard sell. Why? Because I know I don't like hard sales. So I make sure that I let people know that they can talk to me about program. And that I practice these principles in all my, in all my affairs. Because that's what you guys told me to do. But to me... The best thing that I can do is to be an example. And uh, I work with a woman who is uh, quite obese and she has found out that I work program and uh, occasionally she'll hear me talking on the phone because when my sponsees have a problem, I will accept a phone call at work on my lunch hour, only on my lunch hour, because uh, I've learned about honesty and integrity and my boss pays me to work, not to talk to only friends. So if they call me, I, you know, well, usually I call them uh, and it's on my lunch hour, but I will do it from my desk. So she's heard me talk about it and she wants to know more about it. I shared my experience. Is she in program yet? No. Am I a failure? No. I carried the message. I told the truth. I told what I do, how I do it, how I live my life, what is important to me. And she can either stay or go. Makes me know never mind. A friend I was staying with in Las Vegas is working Weight Watchers. And I applaud her. I say, God bless you. She says, but you're not on Weight Watches. I said, are you doing something to take care of your health for you? She says, yeah. I said, well, that's what I'm doing. I'm taking care of my health for me. You're doing the right thing. It's not my way. It's not the path I would take. But, you know, I can't be black and white. I lived too many years in black and white. You were either my best friend or my worst enemy and nothing in between. You either did it my way or get out on the highway. And I don't do that today. I listen to people and I try to be of service and I try to be who I am and let them see who I am. If they like it, fine. They'll stay around. If they don't like it, okay. So we don't talk about food. I've got friends that have food issues. I carry the message. I let them know what I do. We still go out to eat and I still watch them the way they eat and they watch me the way I eat and God bless them. That's all I can do is I can just let them be who they are. And to me, that's the most important thing is loving people just the way they are and accepting them the way they are. Now, it doesn't mean that I'll be best friends with them because obviously we don't have that much in common, do we? I live a 12-step program. Uh, I have the same problem with members of my family. They don't get it. You know, and they say, well, we're leaving at such and such a time. We'll get up. I said, in my mind, I'm going off to get up early." And They say, heard you stumbling around like an hour before we had a leader. Yeah, because I had to, I had to pray and meditate. It's the way I start my day. Not a negotiable. I get up at 4.30 in the morning, Monday through Friday, so I can pray and meditate and still get to work on time. And you know what? I can no more imagine getting up and not praying and meditating as I can getting up and not going to the bathroom or not brushing my teeth or not getting dressed before I go to work. And that's the way I carry the message to people. I go, this is who I am. They say, how do you get up at 4.30 in the morning? I go, you know, I get up. Because I'm one of those people that love sunlight. I hate darkness. I just hate it. It's just... I'm not afraid of it. It just drives me crazy, right? It's never light at 4.30 in the morning. Trust me, I've been doing this for eight years. It is never light at that hour in the morning. But you know what? I have a choice. Get up with the sunlight or pray and meditate. How can I carry the message to somebody else? How can I tell somebody else about program if I'm not living it? So I need to continually work at making sure that my spiritual condition is fit and able to do it. And, you know, when we talk about anonymity, we're, we're having an interesting um, discussion about that in, just recently here that some people are saying, well, you know, in, uh, in AA, they advertise who the speakers are. And I said, you know, I don't like that because had we advertised, I'd be Teresa right now, wouldn't I? <laughs> I'm not big on, on, I like the idea of anonymity. I like the idea of not being a star. Because you know what? I want to be a star. I want that spotlight on me all the time. So by being involved in Overeaters Anonymous, I've learned humility. I've learned to be one among everyone. And I've learned I can survive doing that. Because here I am. I'm still here 22 years later. And I always thought I needed that. I always thought I had the ego, you know, My ego had to be fed. My ego had to be fed. And a friend of mine in program said uh, one time, he says, you know what ego is? I said, well, I know what ego is, but obviously you have your own definition. What do you mean? He says, edging God out. So when I'm in the ego, I'm putting myself above my higher power. I'm putting my interests, my desires, my wants, my actions above those that my higher power would want for me. Now, do I always get what I want? No. Do I always get, you know, get it the way that I want it? No. Do I get disappointed? Yes. It's not, I've learned that in program, it's not that I'm going to get what I want or what I think I need. It's learning how to deal with what comes along my way. So things that have come along my way, I've been on unemployment three times while I've been in program. I've been without jobs. Uh, There are times I didn't know how I was going to, pay my mortgage. Um, I once stood up at a meeting and shared that I thought I was going to have to declare bankruptcy and I was afraid I was going to eat over it so I was pitching about it. I had people coming up to me after the meeting. Some of them the best they could give me was a hug and you know what? That was the best thing. I also got some good financial advice. I got some I mean it has been wonderful that by just being honest and just saying I can't which is the two hardest words in the English language for me that I can't do something that I get what I need and you know I will say to people oh a friend of mine you know very few people know who my sponsor is because I always refer to him as my sponsor we've only been working together for 20 years and people that hang around know who it is because they see us hanging out and it kind of comes up but other than that no why because as soon as I mention someone's name we all have preconceived notions about certain people that's human we can't turn that off So if you say Joe Schmo, we all think, oh, Joe Schmo. I may think one thing, you may think another. But if I say my sponsor, you're still listening to what the sponsor has to say. You haven't turned it off yet. So that's another reason I like the anonymity. I like the anonymity because there are times that people have shown up to speak, and I'll sit in a room, and and they stand up, and they speak, and I'm going, oh, God, not that person again. And I think, and then I have to remember there goes my ego again. I think I'm better than that person I know better and they shouldn't be speaking. And you know what? Because I'm already in the room, what am I going to do? Leave? That's kind of ridiculous. I've spent the time to get there. So I shut up and listen. What a concept. And so I listen and you know what? As I have grown in this program over the years, so have others. And if I can change, maybe they've changed. And sometimes some people from their mouth has come such things that blows me away. And I go, that came from that person's mouth? But yet if I knew ahead of time that that was the person who was speaking, I wouldn't have shown up. And I would have missed a good thing. I would have missed a good thing. So, I love the idea that we're anonymous. I love the idea that anonymity is important. I love the idea that amongst us, I mean, I may say to you that I heard Or uh, a lot of times I'll just say, I heard in the room, blank, blank, blank. I don't need to say who, because again, I just think that we get too involved with personalities. And I think that's human. And I don't think we can turn it off. And if you can, God bless you. I can't. And so uh, they tell us and we practice these principles in all our affairs. And principles, every mind is the principles before personalities. Well, if the principles should come before the personality, that means I got to shut up. I have to be honest, I have to treat people with integrity and respect. Oh, the way I want you to treat me. What a concept. And so I treat others the way I want to be treated. And, and that's hard. That's really hard. I've got a lot of grudges that I'm still working on. Um, I have an older brother who's homophobic and I'm gay. I have a younger sister who's a lesbian and we don't get along either. And it's not that I'm so unusual and it's not that they're so terrible. We, we're just different people. But, you know, when, when my brother came down with prostate cancer and I was going to be on the East Coast anyway, and it was in the middle of my vacation, I gave up a day of my vacation to go see him and be with him to support him and what he was going through. Why? Because you guys told me that's what a good brother does. And I want to be a good brother. But within my own boundaries. So I've learned to set boundaries and respect boundaries. Again, a concept I never had before. You guys taught me how to do it. I've learned to be a better person by participating in Overeaters Anonymous. I've learned how to be a better son, a better brother, a better coworker. I never would have thought that it's inappropriate not to take, thank you, not to take personal phone calls. What do you mean, my friend's call, it's just five minutes, it's just two minutes, it's just that, no, I've learned that my boss pays me to work. Not to talk to my friends. Yeah, I need, to, I need to do some personal work. I get an hour for lunch. He doesn't care what I do on that hour. And you know what? My boss doesn't even work in my office. He's 50 miles away. He wouldn't know if I was standing on my head and spitting wood nickels all day. If I got the work done, that's all he cares about. But you know what? I care. And it's not what other people think about me today. It's what I think about me. It's about at the end of the day when I do my 10th step, can I face myself? with my actions. How many amends do I have to make? Sometimes I have to make them to myself. But where do I stand in that scale with respect to from me to me? And as long as I feel good about me, then it's been a good day. But I also have to be real honest. Did I make a mistake? Did I speak to someone inappropriately? Did I not treat the people with the dignity and respect I want them to treat me with? And so one day at a time, I do a 10-step. As I say, I get up at 4.30 in the morning, I pray, I meditate, I read the books, I spend some time with God, and then you know what? I get on with my day. At the end of the day, same thing. As, I'm, as I get into bed, I lay there and I say, okay, you know, and I, I kind of go through the day. You know, how many people did I flip off on, on, the, on the freeway today? Oh, none anymore, thank God. But road rage was made for me. And I learned, this really doesn't serve you. Oh, okay, fine. But I gave that up. I just drove back from Las Vegas yesterday. And, you know, everyone says, I can do that in three and a half hours. I said, good for you. I can't. They said, oh, yeah, you can. I said, no, I can't because I don't drive at what the road allows. I drive at what I know is safe for me. I got a great greeting card one time that said, never drive faster than your guardian angel can fly. And I've learned that my guardian angel can fly nine miles above the speed limit. (laughs) If it says 70, I can go 79. I can control the car. And thank you, God, nothing's happened accident-wise or ticket-wise. Okay? Thank you. Because I've learned to respect the rules. The rules are there for a reason. Now, is going nine miles above the speed limit the rules? No. Truth is, it's really not. But I did do the footwork. I checked it out with the highway patrol. And they said, you know, nine times out of ten, as long as you're not driving erratically, you're okay. And I said, thank you. But I still pray, get in the car and say, okay, God, we're we're going on this trip. Get me there safely, sanely, and happily. And, and, you know, it's what works for me. Will it work for you? I don't know. It's what you feel inside of you. You have to decide what's right. I can't tell anyone. I can only tell people what I do and how I do it and why I do it. I think we all have to choose our own path. And that's another thing I love about the 12-step program, especially over Eaters and Ones. It's not black and white. We get to live in the yellows and the greens and the purples and the chartreuse and the lavender and the teal and all those wonderful colors of the rainbow. And we get to see what works for me. And the best I can do with my sponsors or anyone else in program is I support them in what they're doing. They make a mistake, I'm still there. I had a, a friend of mine that uh, when we broke up, we were dating when we broke up, his sister said to me, I understand you spoke to him. I said, yeah, and why wouldn't I? He says, but you broke up. I said, we're still friends. I said, to me, friends are the safety net below the tightrope of of life that we all live. We're all walking on that tightrope and our friends are the safety net. As I would not take away his safety net, I wouldn't want anyone to take away my safety net. And I'm appreciative of the life I have today and the way that I live my life and I'm very grateful to is Anonymous. And I thank you all for being here and paying the 12-step call on me. Thanks for letting me share. thank you, Carl, for stepping up.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
0: Our second speaker is Virginia from Long Beach. <laughs> uh, Vivian. That's okay. you thank you. Remember. Vivian
2: want the tape to be right. I've been called Teresa
3: so. Hi, I'm Vivian. And I'm a compulsive reader. Hi, Vivian. Oh boy. Uh, okay, so um, they asked me to speak on tradition five and twelve, and uh, I'm here with my handsome abstaining husband today, and we talked it over before we got here. And we decided that I'm going to do five and he's going to do 12. So you're going to hear five from me today. Tradition five. Each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Uh, Before I get started on that, I want to say, well, first of all, I should qualify a little bit, I guess. Uh, I came to Overeaters Anonymous in 1973, May, or, um, yeah, May 15th. 1973, I've been a continuous, abstaining member uh, since May 15th, 1980. Uh, Today, I'm standing here uh, maintaining at 80 pounds below my top weight. Now, in all honesty, I have to tell you that my top weight was when I was 16 years old. So I was, you know, one of those people that had the childhood onset obesity. Um, so I didn't lose all that weight in Overeaters Anonymous, but I can tell you that because of Overeaters Anonymous, I have a wonderful life today, and I'm sure a life that I never would have had without this beautiful program of 12 steps and 12 traditions. Um, You've probably heard if you've been to other tradition meetings today that the traditions are to the group what the steps are to the individual, and uh, I found out I remember going to, uh, actually, I'm not alcoholic, but uh, in the early days, uh, I used to go, well, I still do occasionally, but I used to more often go to AA meetings just to hear the speakers because, um, you know, there was a lot of strength in those AA meetings. And so I remember one day sitting in an Alano club. I wasn't working at the time. And uh, I hadn't worked for probably about a year at that point, and I was sitting in uh, an AA meeting, and there was a woman speaker up at the podium, and she was talking, you know, she was giving her pitch, and at one point she said, uh, I discovered that I had to work the seventh tradition in my own life. I had to go get a job, and it hit me like a ton of bricks, you know. I needed to go get a job. Uh, but what I, you know, what I heard from that, that day, was that these traditions apply to me personally in my everyday life, uh, just just as the steps do. So uh, I look at the traditions in that light. So with this Tradition 5, uh, each group has but one primary purpose. You know, in my mind, it's like I have a primary purpose. My primary purpose for me is to abstain from compulsive overeating and to uh, carry the message to the overeater who still suffers, which is how we get to keep what we find around here is by telling somebody else about it. So, um, you know, the really wonderful thing about Overeaters Anonymous is that we have a unique ability to talk to another compulsive overeater, you know, to another person that uses food to... Uh, you know, make life manageable. And, uh, and that's something that, you know, the doctors out there can't talk to us about. And, uh, the other people out there that try to help us, you know, that, that are not like us don't understand. Uh, I had a little, um, I had a little thing happen last year that it was, you know, it was kind of funny to me in a way, but it illustrates my point. Uh, probably uh, a year and a half ago, I weighed about 25 pounds more than I do today. And uh, yeah, I had some kind of a reorganization that happened, and my food changed, and I've been able to lose. Uh, I've been able to lose down to a true, what I consider a true maintenance weight for me and I've been maintaining that now for for a while. But just prior to that, I had an appointment with my cardiologist, and I went in, and uh, I had had the blood test, of course, before I went in to see him for all of the cholesterol and everything, and my cholesterol was a little elevated, And uh, he thought it was important that it not be. And so and then he also knows that I can't take those statin drugs that work so well for a lot of people because I just can't take them. They don't agree with me. So we're sitting in the little examination room there, and uh, he's looking at me, and I'm looking at him, and there's quiet, you know, thinking, what are we going to do with her? You know, we need to get her cholesterol down. And she can't take these drugs. And so I just sort of, you know, I just sort of quietly said to him, Well, I guess I could lose a little weight. And, uh, you know, he had this look come over his face. And he had a little sigh. And he said, Well, I guess you could try. You know, I guess you could try. <laughs> You know, it was just like a uh, mild exasperation. You know, it was like he had never told me before to lose weight. I've never had a doctor tell me to lose weight. But, you know, I have to think that he's had a lot of patients in there that needed to lose weight, and he has not had very good success with them. So the doctors, you know, they uh, they don't get it. Uh, you know, I'm sure a lot of them have tried to help people like us, and we, you know, probably have not responded very well in the, you know, in the greater scheme of things. So we have that unique ability to talk to one another, you know, and that's what's so wonderful about Overeaters Anonymous, that one compulsive overeater talking to another one, where we really get it, we really understand that identification. I heard somebody earlier today talking about the identification is so important here because, uh, well, you know, when I came to Overeaters Anonymous, We didn't have the wonderful OA literature that we have today. We had the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. They handed me that book. They said, change the word alcoholic to compulsive overeater, change the word alcohol to food, and see if you can find yourself in that book. And, And so that's what I tried to do. That's what I did. And at some point in my recovery, it occurred to me, you know, if I find myself in this book, then... I can find the recovery in this book too, because it's meant—you know—that's what it's meant for. It's meant uh, to help me. For, you know, it says the purpose of the book is to help you find a power greater than yourself that will solve your problem. And uh, and that's and that's another thing, you know, that people that are not in this program or working these twelve steps do not understand about compulsive overeating is that it's a spiritual—it's a spiritual dilemma. So, uh, you know, we have this beautiful program to uh, deal with that and to help us with that. Uh, so, the tradition says to carry, to carry its message, the primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive overeating and to carry uh, its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. I got to Overeaters Anonymous because, uh, I mean, I learned about Overeaters Anonymous because I was working with someone who had come to the program and started to work the program. Uh, and I, you know, they say in this program that You know, we, you know, that come to the program and start abstaining and start living this program, we may be the only copy of the big book that somebody ever sees. And that's what I saw in that woman that I was working with. Uh, When she came to work with us, she was kind of a sour puss, And she never smiled. And she was overweight. And just not a very nice person. And then, you know, a little time went by, and I noticed that she was coming into work, and uh, she, was had, she had a little brown bag with her every day she was bringing into work. She would walk by my desk, put on a big smile, and say good morning. And, uh, and I noticed that she was losing weight. And this went on. It was going on. of course, to me, at the time, made no sense at all. She's losing weight. She has a smile on her face. <laughs> mutually exclusive you know it's like losing weight smile on your face no they don't go together they don't go together so I asked her you know what she was doing and she told me that she was going to some meetings and I said well what kind of meetings are those what what is it and I I expected her to tell me tops or something you know but she said uh Overeaters Anonymous and uh, I thought oh okay and I didn't ask her any more about it because I was not ready at that point. I didn't really want to know about it, but it was interesting, you know, seeing her progress into the program. But I never forgot that. And uh, two or three years later, when I hit bottom and took the first step before I ever came into these rooms, I remembered her. She was that walking copy of the big book for me. You know, I never forgot her. And uh, at that point, you know, later on, she was long gone by this point. By this point, but I remembered her, and I remembered Overeaters Anonymous, and I looked it up in our big uh, LA uh, telephone directory in the white pages, and made the call and found a meeting. Now, that meeting that I went to, my very first meeting. This was a good meeting, you know. You hear that meetings that follow the traditions staunchly, they're generally pretty strong meetings, you know. They last a while because uh, they have a structure. And this meeting that I walked into that night of my first meeting was a meeting like that. It was one of the largest meetings, if not the largest meeting, in the south end of uh, L.A. County over in Lakewood. I was telling somebody earlier, uh, it was a two-hour meeting in those days, two hours. And when you went up to the front door, they had a greeting line out front that out in front of the front door. There would be six or eight people out there with their hand out that you had to shake their hand or give them a hug before you ever got into the meeting room. And so, you know, they, and this is part of carrying the message to the newcomer, you know, making them feel welcome. You're welcome here. If you have a problem with food, fat, dieting, size of your body, compulsive overeating, you know, we have an answer here. And this is the beginning, you know, shaking the hand, coming in the door. You're welcome here. And so that was, you know, that was my introduction into O Readers Anonymous. Um, Another thing that happened to me, uh, you know, the the moral of this story is you never know what small little gesture that you may do or some little word that you may say to somebody can make a huge difference, you know, in having them come back and get this thing. I remember uh, kind of early on, you know, I was sitting in the chair real early on and uh you know there was this older woman that would come by I was a lot younger then you know <laughs> she'd take me under her wing Uh but she would come by the back of my chair and just touch me on the shoulder lightly and say I'm glad you're here you know and it brings tears to my eyes it brings a knot up in my throat today when I think about that you know I, it's just, it, it just makes a huge difference. It made me feel welcome. It made me want to come back, you know, That uh, because I'm a pretty shy person. I was, oh, you know, I was one of those newcomers that I never stood up as a newcomer, never stood up as a newcomer. You know, I thought I could just slide into the back of the room and sit down and you wouldn't notice that I was there. So, you know, those little tiny things that we can do for the newcomer, you know, just going up and saying, you know, we're glad you're here. We hope you'll come back or just something simple can make a big difference and and carrying the message to somebody who's still suffering. And nobody winds up in these rooms unless they're suffering. Believe you me. Nobody, I've never seen a newcomer come in with a big smile on their face saying, by God, I'm glad to be here, you know. It just doesn't happen that way, you know. You come sliding in here, you know, just, uh, well, you know, you know, you've been there. So, uh, yeah, I guess I wanted to say something, too, about there was a part that, Uh, was read, Carmen read it, uh, out of the book before we started here. Uh, I I got that part here, thanks. Um, She read this part about uh, OA not being a social club. You know, when I go to a meeting of Overeaters Anonymous, I want to hear, oh, thank you, I want to hear the program. I want to hear about recovery. I, and, you know, I, sure, there used to be a part in our uh, format in one of the meetings that I used to go to over in Lakewood, and I think they've, they've stricken it out of the format now, but they used to say something like, we come here to talk about our prob- our daily problems with living so that we don't have to eat over them. I, I thought, no, no, no that 's not why we come here, uh, but you know sometimes we do need to t- we do need to talk about those things in life that are very trying to us, but we need to talk about the recovery that is associated with those things. How do you get through them? How did you get through it? What did you do? Did you go to more meetings? Did you call somebody on the phone? Have you talked to somebody about it before you 've come to this meeting? You know those are the kinds of things we need to. We need to have, um, you know, that, that strength in the meetings to make them attractive to keep people coming back. And, you know, people that have been around a long time uh, keep them coming back. So we're not a social club. We do make good friends here. And, you know, there's people that that we find a lot in common with, obviously. Um But it's a very serious thing that we're doing in the program. You know, we're saving people's lives. We're saving our own lives. So, um, yeah, I, I wrote down one of the paragraphs out of the book here. It says, we have a responsibility to avoid simply discussing our problems with each other in meetings. We find solutions to our problems. We do this by keeping the focus of the meeting on the principles of the 12 steps and the 12 traditions. And those principles were read earlier uh, too. And those are all of those things, honesty, hope, faith, integrity, self-discipline. That's a good one. You know, that's one that we don't hear in meetings a lot. Self-discipline is one of the principles of these steps and traditions. Uh, so, you know, these are the things that that are good topics and, um, you know, things to talk about in meetings. Um, two minutes. Okay. Just very briefly. Well, maybe I won't even go into that. Um, I think I've said about everything that I had planned to say. Anyway, I'm very happy to be asked to participate in this Region 2 convention. I've never, you know, participated in a Region 2 convention before, and uh, I love coming to these things. I came to the OAA or the Rural Service convention when it was down the street a few months ago, and that was a wonderful experience. So thank you for being in this room here for this hour, and thank you for allowing me to share.
0: Thank you, Vivian. <laughs> Our third speaker is Jerry from Long Beach.
1: My buddies. <clears throat> I'm Jerry. I'm a compulsive overreader. Hi, Jerry. It's so, good to be here. Uh, <clears throat> Thank you guys for showing up, my friends and everybody. And uh, I'll qualify just a little bit before I talk about the Twelfth Tradition. i uh, It's hard for me to believe it, but I came to this program 30 years ago and I've stayed because I'm a stayer. And, uh, and I have uh, imperfect abstinence. Uh, by that, I mean I have changed my weight a few times. But I've never gone back to the binging and the hopeless, helpless feeling of being out of control where I couldn't, uh, you know, find my way out of it. And so uh, I would, I guess, say that I I have 30 years of uh, imperfect abstinence. And uh, it's led me to a fantastic uh, place in my life today where everything is uh, truly remarkably good. I think it was Sandy today, uh, or earlier in the afternoon, we were out standing out there, and she said, were you ever fat? And uh, (laughs) I said, well, yeah, of course. (laughs) uh, When I was in high school, they called me pear shape. Now, that's painful shit, baby. (laughs) I mean, you walk out in that quad, and I remember these two guys used to say, Hey, here comes Pear Shape. Let's all laugh at Jerry. You know, man, I hated those guys. I remember their names, Rusty Ows and G G Four. I'm waiting for him to come through that door. You know. <laughs> <laughs> and another thing. Uh, some years after I um, I started in AA and and then I eventually came to O A and and uh, lost seventy pounds in six months or something, and so. A few years back, I was talking to a guy that was there at that time and and somebody brought up the the OA program and stuff. And and he says, this guy, Willie Parker, he says, uh, yeah, Jerry, when you were fat, you were dumpy. (laughs) Oh, man, (laughs) What what a jam. My own mother, my own mother, Used to poke me in the abdomen when I would walk by sometimes and say, "Are you pregnant?" <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I had a lot of reasons to hate her, but that was uh... anyway. I, uh, you know, I, I started out, you know, trying to figure out what was wrong with my life way back. You know, I went to therapy and. And uh, I took LSD, and I tried all these different things to make me better. And, and uh, well, let me back up by saying that I started with the uh, drugs and alcohol in high school. By the time I was in the middle of high school, it was an everyday deal. I hung out with these guys, and and uh, that's what we did, you know. And, and uh, so that, you know, for one thing, I, I would say, I believe when you hear these people say that, you know from the time you start practicing an addiction, you cease to mature. you know my emotional maturity stopped at that age. You know, I was fifteen or sixteen for the next twenty five years emotionally, you know I didn't grow up, and uh, and I also like to say for newer people that uh you know I didn't show up at age fifteen into this addiction and say. Yeah, I think I'll just be a jerk for the rest of my life. You know, I ain't got the genes for this. I inherited this crap, I think. That's my belief. You know, we beat up on ourselves for being bad, you know, compulsive overeaters and alcoholics and all that stuff. Hey, I don't think any of us volunteered for it. You know, this stuff was inflicted on us and, uh, you know, cut yourself some slack. I, uh, I'm pretty good at forgiving myself today for, uh, for my past, and uh, you know that's uh, that's a good thing. So anyhow, I started with the AA, and and I got sober, and bought the package, and uh, loved it, everything about it. And then I switched the addiction over to the food. So I started eating, and uh, gaining weight, and pretty soon that sunlight of the spirit was cut off, and I was like, oh oh, I'm deep into this food. And I don't feel good. I don't feel like I have that spiritual uh, connection at all. And I can't stop eating. And I couldn't stop eating. You know, every every meal was uh, sit there and eat until my stomach hurt. And uh, this particularly was between Thanksgiving and Christmas of 1980. I, uh, you know, usually between Thanksgiving and Christmas, you kind of back off a little bit in between and regroup and stuff. That year, I, I was, every day was like Thanksgiving eating, you know, just binging, the horrible. So anyway, I got, uh, oh, I was working with a gal that was going to OA, and I asked her for a directory, which she gave me, and, and so then I showed up at my first OA meeting in February of 81. And uh, by the third meeting, I was ready to say, okay, uh, I'll... I'll surrender, you know, and do the deal here and got a sponsor. And, and then, like I said before, I lost that weight pretty fast. And uh, and so now it's been, you know, uh, 30 years of working steps and, and traditions. You know, I always, for years, I always thought the traditions, I just shut off my ears when they would talk about the traditions, you know, and they talk about the steps or or the emotions or something, but... You know, as I've been here for a long time, I begin to realize how important these traditions are and, uh, and how valuable they are in my own growth as well as the structure of the group. And so, uh, Tradition 12 is just like, uh, you know, ripe with stuff that, uh, is meaningful. And, uh, so I'm going to read you a couple of passages that I, oh, another thing is, you know, if I wasn't asked to do this, I wouldn't focus on Tradition 12, you know, uh, very much. But having been called to do this, I said, well, I better check it out a little bit and read through it and give it some thought. And, uh you know, that's what we're here for. And, and if you stay in the program for a long time, uh, this stuff, you know, becomes more important to you. Um, Well, a lot of this talk is about the ego and the big shots and the uh, climbers and stuff. And, of course, the tradition itself says that uh, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Well, first, I guess I would say that if you stay in a program, you're going to run into people at meetings that are going to, you know, cause you to... Wish they weren't there, you know. <laughs> and, uh, in fact, at one of the meetings I go to, whenever that's read, you know, place principles before personalities, this guy, Ski always pipes up and says, good luck with that, you know. And uh, so I learned fairly early on that, uh, you know, you're just going to have to learn to tolerate certain people that you intensely dislike because you can't let them run you off from your meeting and your program. I'm not gonna let anybody, no matter how big a jerk they are or how personally offensive they are towards me, drive me out of my meeting. I'm gonna stay there. They'll move on. You know, I've gone through a succession over the years of people that have showed up at some of my home groups and and been real obnoxious and I thought, How am I gonna to tolerate this jerk, you know? Forever. It always seems like it's gonna go on forever. Well, eventually they cycle on down the road, but I think it's just a good thing to have in the back of your mind that, uh, principles, not personalities, that's what we're there for and uh, that's what we're there to, uh, internalize and these guys, uh, you don't need to worry about this stuff. That's on them. You know, that's on them if they can't cooperate with the process like most of us are committed to doing. But anyway, getting to the, uh, immense spiritual value of these traditions and this tradition of anonymity, the immense spiritual value. I always liked that language, you know, because I could see there was more to it than just not saying your full name or, or you know, other things that we talk about in connection with anonymity. So this part here kind of... uh struck me, someone to read a little bit of this. Anonymity fosters humility and guards against reemergence of that blind self-will that leads to the compulsion to overeat. Prevented by our traditions from placing ourselves or others in a position of distinction within our fellowship, we find it easier for each of us simply to be part of the group. Being a part of the group is essential to recovery from our disease of isolation, a little further down. As we continue to grow spiritually, we begin to lose our desire for prestige in OA and in other areas of our lives. It is satisfaction enough to be in recovery, fully functioning, and contributing as human beings. And we know we can't take all the credit even for that. Well, I've had a complete transformation in my values and my attitudes through this program. When I got here, I was totally self-centered, totally self-will. All I thought about was putting something in me to make me feel good. That was my life at age 42. It's embarrassing to say that, but that's what it was. All I thought about was putting something in me to make me feel good, to take away the pain, to take away the angst of my life being such a failure. And today... I absolutely know that unless I'm thinking about you, unless I'm thinking about doing something for somebody else, unless I'm doing something to put something back and be a part of, I will not have that serenity and that peace of mind that I enjoy. And so I've had a complete change of attitude, a complete psychic shift over to uh, not being so selfish and self-centered. I still am, but it's not like it used to be because I do uh, engage myself in thinking of others, helping others, trying to help others, being of service. And, uh, and that gives me that spiritual, uh, balance and, uh, the good feelings. You know, I, I go, I saw a couple of my granddaughters on Sunday and I hadn't seen them for a while. They live up in the Bay Area. And my ability to love them is just unbelievable to me. You know, I'm going to see my little three-year-old grandson on Thursday, and uh, you know, when he walks into the room, it's like I just light up. It's like a fix. It's like I get I get all the joy and and wonderfulness that I used to get out of putting something in me. You know, let's get a little higher. Let's get a little little messed up, or you know, let's. And, you know, now I see how hopeless, how futile, how stupid all that was. But it took all this to get me over to that point where I could have the kind of uh, feelings about life and spirituality. I, you know, I heard another speaker today talking about the God business. And, uh, you know, I thought I was going to have trouble with that at first. When I was going to a step study and... and. Uh, and i started you know getting close to buying the package here and and feeling like yeah i'm a compostable reader i belong here and uh and then i read that appendix in the big book the spiritual experience and it talks about having a spiritual awakening of the educational variety and and the key is willingness and so i thought Okay, I guess I can be willing to open my mind to the possibility that there's a higher power, or at least a power greater than me, whether it's the group or something else. And the minute I got that little crack in my uh, resistance, uh, I've never had any trouble with it. You know, my concept of God today is not some anthropomorphic figure sitting up on a throne, throwing down stuff or, or you know, a, a person like God my my honest belief in my higher power is that it is within me you know it is my inner perfection now i refer to god as if it was a guy you know that's helping me and i ask him for help and i talk to him like it's a friend and all that sort of thing and so i'm comfortable with those uh, those attitudes that i have about my uh, my spiritual growth and and you know, being one among many, being a part of, that has been a huge revelation, a huge turning point. Uh, I used to always play the big shot. That was my, I call it my strategy for living. I can handle it. I got it together. I'm the man. I don't need any help. Uh, put this big phony facade up here that says I'm okay. Stay away. And, uh, of course, behind that big phony facade was all this self-doubt and fear that I didn't have it together, that I knew I wasn't enough, and I had to pretend that I was. And that's like, you know, schizophrenia. So uh I can sit in meetings today and just love you, you know, and just feel a part of and not try to be better than anybody, not feel like I'm worse than anybody, just be one among many, just be... uh Chugging along in the middle and very happy to do it. I heard a guy a few years back, uh, taking a 30 year cake, very lovable character in AA and, and he said, uh, I know you people love me, you know, and I, I was sitting back and I thought, wow, that's a great thing to be able to say. You know, I know you people love me. And when I'm in a meet, when I'm in here, I know there's people here that know me and love me, you know, Bonnie loves me. Sandy loves me. Edie loves me a little bit. I don't know her as well. <laughs> Saturday, I usually go to a meeting, uh, an AA meeting at noon, and there's, there's five guys in that meeting. How much time do I have? Okay, I'll, this will be my last story. There's five guys in that meeting that I have a bond with that is unbelievable. When I walk in there, I'm glad if Art's there, Dwayne's there. Bill S. is there. Lawyer Bill is there. Because the five of us have a bond that's just priceless to me. Uh, we, uh, we had a guy at that meeting that was a quadriplegic and he came in a wheelchair and all he could run was this little joystick here that ran his little wheelchair around. Then he got to the point where he couldn't be in the wheelchair anymore. He had to lay out flat. So he's in the VA hospital. So the five of us decided we'll go over there and take a meeting to Dennis. So we did that, and none of us was—I mean, none of us wanted to go alone and be there, you know, because it's kind of tough, you know, spending time with a quadriplegic. Until we got to know him and love him, he was a regular AA guy with us. But we all just kept showing up every Saturday at one o'clock. We'd all show up for Dennis's meeting, and. He died after about two years of that me and, me and flat on his back. But what we got out of that was unbelievable. I mean, one of the guys was kind of new, and I think that propelled him into the middle of the program totally, that experience. And for all of us, it was like, you know, we kind of look at each other like we know there's something between us that will never go away, you know, that, that we just acquired because of that commitment to Dennis. And that's the kind of stuff that, you know, just caused me to, uh, grow and change my values and change my thinking and internalize the stuff that we learn here. I'm just going to read the the long form of the uh, 12th, the AA version of the 12th edition because it, I think it's beautiful and, uh, and it inspires me whenever I get to read it. And finally, we of Alcoholics Anonymous or Readers Anonymous believe that the principle of anonymity has an immense spiritual significance. It reminds us that we are to place principles before personalities, that we are actually to practice a genuine humility, this to the end that our great blessings may never spoil us, that we shall forever live in thankful contemplation of him who presides over us all. Thank you very much.
0: Anybody else have
2: questions?
0: Okay. Uh-oh. Does yours have something on the back? Okay. We're going to take questions from the Ask It Basket now and I'll read them and then we'll have the panel members answer the questions. Okay. To everybody, has your sponsee stopped attending meetings because of a conflict of practicing principles before personalities? What did you tell him or her?
2: If I have a sponsee that you come up to the... Oh, mm. If I have a sponsee that says they're not going to go back to a meeting because of personality conflicts. I say, fine. What other meeting are you going to go to? It's real simple. You know, your commitment is X number of meetings a week and different sponsors have different commitment. You don't want to go to meeting A? I don't care. Go to meeting B. You don't want to go to meeting B? Fine. Fine. meeting C. But make your commitment because it's your commitment to your program. It's not to me. I don't really care if they go to their meetings or not. But I remind them that they've made a commitment to their program, which is their life, the way they choose to live. So I just act as a catalyst to remind them what their commitment is and tell them, I don't care which meetings you go to, but get to it.
0: The next one is, how's your blood pressure? Oh. oh thank
2: you. Is that
0: a, is that question something a question somebody
3: hasn't answered for?
0: Uh probably. Doesn't say
3: Vivian, but... Actually, it wasn't blood pressure; it was cholesterol, and I can tell you that I had a new test just last week, and it's way below what it should be, which is a good thing.
0: How would you best tell someone how to let go and let God if someone keeps picking up whilst doing step one? Through three, do you keep working with them through fourth and onwards? Want me to repeat that? Okay. How would you best tell someone how to let go and let God? If someone keeps picking up... I'm not... While doing... I guess... Okay.
1: Would you please... The first one was uh, basically working with a sponsee, the first one was possibly relapsing, another word, yeah. whilst working steps one to three. Do you carry on doing step four or do you just wait until they stop relapsing? That was the first question. Or do you continue through the steps with regards the fact that they're relapsing throughout those steps? Or do you stop at three? Uh, and, and, and wait, for the, you know, and then when they're absent, continue on, or do you just keep on going right through the steps and the whole time while
0: they're binging or whatever they're doing in their program? Okay, just to summarize for the tape, um, what I'm hearing is if you have a sponsee and you're working with that sponsee and they're having some difficulties in um, working and understanding steps one through three, would you go on to step four with them? If they're still in the food. Okay, that's the difficulty.
2: Okay. For me, when I work with my sponsees, it really depends on the individual. And some individuals work best with positive reinforcement, and some people work best with pejorative reinforcement. So it's really an individual thing. If it's a sponsee that says, you know, they're really committed, they just can't do it, I say, okay, let's just keep working. But it really depends on the individual. And so I've said to sponsees, you need to keep eating. You're not done. So knock yourself out, go eat now. Let's say we and we go through all the steps. Well, and they're still eating through three, through four, through five. Once they stop, I make a mental note. And then once they've stopped and I say, okay, you've done step 12. Congratulations. Here's your assignment for tomorrow. Start on step one, because you're not the same person now you were then. So you get to do it. I suggest you don't get to. I, I don't force anyone to do anything. I suggest you start all over because it's like anything. I can tell you I am not the same person I was when I came in. I'm not the same person I was the last time I spoke at a convention, which was two years ago. So as we change, our view on on the written words are going to change. And so I encourage them to start all over again. And that's what we do. We go through it again. I don't drop sponsees. I don't care how much food they eat. I don't care how many times they go out because, again, I'm that safety net under the tightrope of life and I'm going to be there for them they want to leave there's the door have a good life see you around but as long as someone wants to work with me I'm willing to work with them was there another part? you tell them to let go you know here uh, let go of the book okay you let go of the book let go of the food drop it just do it it's not a commercial for Nike. Just do it to the best of your ability every day. Some people can let go easier than others. Some people have a hard time. You know, a friend of mine once did, uh, he said his sponsor kept saying to turn it over. He didn't know how. He says, here's how you turn it over. Turn it over. Turn it over. Turn it over. For the tape, I'm just turning the book over and over. So that's the way you do it. And when you can find the humor in it and you can find the simplicity of it and you can find how the easiness of it, it becomes easier to do that with program. Thank you.
0: Jerry Vivian. In many meetings I attend, abstinence from compulsive overeating is downplayed. People take chips for anniversaries, meaning length of time attending OA, not abstinence. Long-timers are still obese or overweight. Maintenance is never mentioned, maintained. I think these practices to do our message. What are your thoughts about this?
3: Well, you know, I have maintained at a higher weight uh different times throughout my uh you know, length of time in the program. And uh You know, all I have to say about that is it takes what it takes, you know, for each one of us. Uh, For me, I can tell you that a year and a half ago, I got to a point in my program where, you know, there was 20 or 25 pounds between me and what I, you know, what I thought would be happy, you know, happiness. I became willing to allow myself to be happy once and for all. I, you know, I remember telling myself at that time it's like I, you know, I'm I'm carrying around this extra 20 pounds or whatever it was and uh if if it's God's willing, uh I w- I want to get this weight off. I want to be able to maintain at a true maintenance weight and uh and something happened in me at that time. It was like I became willing to finally dropped the rock like Carl was talking about it was like it's over now I just want to do this I want to be happy see if it's possible at least I didn't know you know if it would be possible I'm not sure if I'm answering the question but this is what came to my mind as she was reading that uh, so yeah, people taking chips for anniversaries, length of time in the program, blah blah blah. So it takes what it takes for each one of us, you know, and for me it it's taken a really long time to get to you know, to where I am today. I I've been a slow learner in this program and I try to be patient with people that I sponsor. Uh, you know, each person is different, uh and the people that I sponsor I try to meet them where they are, you know. uh I sponsor people in the program with different lengths of abstinence, and some of them require, you know, more listening to, and more guidance, and more uh, talking, and and uh, discussing the book and everything. All I know is that uh, all of it helps me, and um, and I, you know, I that's that's the beauty of uh, coming back over, you know, keeping keeping coming back growing a little bit at a time and just carrying on.
0: Okay, we're running out of time. I have two more questions. I'll take a group conscience. Would you like to hear the other questions and answers or is it time to close this meeting? All in favor of closing the meeting? All in favor of of answering the last two questions? Uh, It's not a...
2: The closing the meeting the how about answers, I'll, I'll, I'm willing to hang around and talk to anybody I'll okay. tell
0: you okay that's a good idea thank you very much and the people that wrote these last two questions you probably know who you are uh, if you'll come up and talk to the people on the panel afterwards you might get some some answers okay. to your questions so thanks for your patience and understanding um, okay. I want to all of us thank the speakers <laughs> And thank you for attending today and to close the meeting i'd like to have a say Um, i put my hand in yours and so if we could just hold hands and if you don't quite know it listen to the person next to you and just feel it